Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, good day, beloved uh, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, family. It's good to be with you. We are getting close to Christmas. It's amazing. Tuesday of, of, the, of the fourth. No, it's Tuesday of the third week of Advent. And um, this past Sunday was Gaudaute Sunday, uh, Rejoice Sunday, because we're halfway through the journey to Christmas. But the fact is... Um, we're more than halfway through because this coming Sunday is Christmas. So we won't have a fourth adv- Advent, a fourth Sunday of Advent this year. It's very, very short and quick. Um, so what I'd like us to uh, uh, focus on today to read through is, is what would be the fourth Sunday of Advent, which is focused on the love of God. Bishop Ehrler, uh, in 1891, uh, wrote a beautiful homily for the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we can take it to our hearts now as we approach Christmas on Sunday. For all our Advent preparation, the week before Christmas should be the most intense. Uh, spend a little time fasting, praying with your family, um, not putting Christmas lights on. In fact, I've told our sisters we're getting up, a tr- we're putting up our tree and. Um, bringing out decorations, but nothing will be lit until Christmas Eve when the Messiah comes. And Bishop Erler Erler writes um, from Luke 3, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The whole season of Advent is a time of preparation for the coming of our Redeemer. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. It is divine faith, my dear brethren, which prompts this preparation and heavenly hope which encourages us to keep the commandments in spite of all obstacles which our evil inclinations oppose thereto and to walk steadfastly in the way of salvation. But since this path is, for the most part, rough, difficult, and repulsive to our natural desires, it is the all-powerful love of God alone which can make all the crooked paths straight and all the rough ways plain. If men would but love the Lord, their highest good, with all their hearts, with all their souls, and with all their minds, they would easily overcome all obstacles. Here below, and without doubt, would hereafter see the salvation of God. You see, dear ones, don't simply teach your children religion, that they go to Mass on Sunday, and that they don't lie and don't steal Absolutely all those things. But the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They would enjoy for all eternity the beatific vision of him who is the delight of heaven and earth, our first beginning and our last end. My dearest Christians, Bishop Erla writes, I implore you then to love this Holy One who is most loving, 
most lovely and most perfect in all his attributes. Love the Lord, your God, with all our hearts, that is, with your whole understanding, with all your souls, that is, with your whole will, and with your whole minds, that is, with all your memory. Human understanding acknowledges that God is most, most worthy of our love because he is the essence of all good and because all his works are infinitely great. Knowledge of a good is essential to a love of it, no matter how precious a thing may be. If we do not know its value, we do not love it. God, it is true, is so far above us, my brethren, that we cannot fully comprehend his being or perfections. What do you imagine God to be, asks St. Augustine? Whatever image you form of him is not correct, for he would not be God if you could comprehend him. Nevertheless, the knowledge of himself, which God imparts to his creatures, is in proportion to their love for him. Isn't that amazing, dear ones? The knowledge of God, which God himself imparts to his creature, is in proportion to their love for him. Isn't that true of one another? The more you love your spouse, um, the more you know your spouse, the more you love him or her. No truer conception can be formed of the deity than that which regards and worships him as the highest, most desirable, and everlasting good, a good which may be indeed admired, but never comprehended by any of his creatures. Man has been favored from the beginning with the most wonderful revelations of the deity. The heavens show forth the glory of God, says Psalm 18. He it is of whom the apostle says, of him and by him and in him are all things, Romans 11. When we contemplate this great universe in which we live, we may form some idea of the majesty and grandeur of the creator. He manifests his inestimable power, says St. Bernard, in the creation of such numerous, great, various, and splendid things. His marvelous wisdom is displayed in that matchless order which regulates everything above, below, and in the center of the earth. When we reflect upon the aim and exalted destiny of all created things, we cannot sufficiently admire the goodness of God, nor the wonderful beauties and benefits of creation, in which even the most ungrateful have a share. You see, your children when they're born and when they're little tots, they can't imagine their inheritance. They know little of their mother and dad who cooperated in their creation. They know little of the house, of the, of the resources, of your love for them, of your plans for them. They know little of it. And yet all those things are theirs. They have a share in them. By these and similar considerations, we must endeavor as far as possible, as much as possible, my brethren, to grow in the knowledge of God. And this knowledge must certainly beget in our souls a true and lasting love of God. To love God with our whole souls, 
the will must be ready to fulfill all the commandments of God and to do this in adverse as well as in agreeable circumstances. God says to man, my son, give me thy heart, Proverbs 23. What does this mean, dear Christians? Nothing else but to do God's will, as he himself explains. Quote, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man according to my own heart, who shall do all my will, Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> the Apostle John, God through the Apostle John says, remain in our love, remain in my love, If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, as I always have kept my Father's commandments and do remain in his love. The commandment of God, the commandment of love, is the greatest and first commandment of the law. Yea, it is, as St. Paul declares it to be, the fulfilling of the law. He that truly loves God will certainly keep his commandments, but he that does not keep his commandments shows thereby that he has no love for God. If divine love is present in a soul, it is sufficient. But if everything else is present, except charity, all else is of no account. Children, teenagers, I want you to know the same is true of you with your parents. If you love your parents, you will obey them. In everything but sin, you will obey them. If you say, I love them, but I don't want to do that, or I think they're wrong there, or they never let me do this, I'm not going to do it, everything else is okay, then you don't love them. You don't pick and choose. If you love them, you obey them. And you can see if you love them or not by your actions. You can tell whether you love them or not by your actions. And so can your parents tell that, beloved. You can't say, I love them, but I want to play with my friends, or I want to do this. You can say that, but if you follow it through and ignore what your parents desire, you do not love them. And you will not understand that unless you face that and not make excuses for it. Bishop Erla says it is not enough to perform the will of God or obey his commandment commands in certain circumstances agreeable to the Christian. Man's will must be submissive to that of God in all circumstances. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or persecution, or the sword? In all these things we overcome, because of him that hath loved us. What did not St. Paul, in common with all the other apostles, suffer for Christ? Love assuaged all their plans, and sweetened all their tribulations. Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed but a few days because of the greatness of his love. Beloved, when you sacrifice for your spouse, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your best friend, other creatures of God, human beings made in his image, it could be a great sacrifice for the moment. But... You are doing the will of God, who gave his all for you, not at times, but always, and gave his life, and who loved you from the beginning, and who loves you to the end. 
the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. It just really connected me to my faith. I always considered myself 100% Catholic, but didn't really realize that I wasn't fully practicing my faith, so I learned so much through the Station of the Cross and began just getting deeper in my prayers and feeling just so much closer to God and so well-versed in learning more about the Bible and more about what actually it means to be Catholic. So it became very, very important to me, and I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I make it a regular practice of donating every time they have their their fundraising and just love it and wouldn't want it to ever go away. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112, then share your testimonial with us. Did you know that an unwanted car or truck can make a great gift? When the time comes to purchase a new one, consider donating your old car or truck to the Station of the Cross. We have a quick and simple way for you to get rid of your unwanted vehicle while supporting the solid Catholic programming you love listening to on your radio, online, and through your mobile devices. Whether they run or not, we accept cars, trucks, RVs, boats, and motorcycles. It's a great opportunity for you to give more than you might normally be able to. At the same time, you'll be clearing out space in your garage or driveway, ridding yourself of an unwanted vehicle. Just visit us online at thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS, 1-866-628-2277. May God bless you for your generosity in support of Catholic Radio. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live and I'm thrilled to be with you. And following our second break, um, we will have a whole half hour to ourselves. Our phone lines are open to take your calls and your emails, and we look forward to that always. At the moment, we're reading Bishop Erler. He wrote in the 1800s his homily on the fourth Sunday of Advent because, um, well, actually, we will have a fourth Sunday of Advent. I, I was mistaken earlier uh, Christmas is on Monday this year, not Sunday. So Sunday night is Christmas Eve, um, which is very, very wonderful. So it actually will be the fourth Sunday of Advent, but in the evening it will already be Christmas. It'll be the vigil of Christmas. And so Bishop Erler's homily uh, focuses the fourth Sunday on the love of God. And he says we are to love just as Jesus said with the scriptures, with our whole heart, that is with our whole understanding with our whole souls, that is, with our whole will, and with our whole minds, that is, with all our memory. And at moment, let me just go down to where we... Um, <clears throat> all right, hold on, here we are. And so we are, um, right now, we are speaking about to love God, 
with our whole we had our whole mind which is our understanding now to love god with our whole souls the will must be ready to fill all the commandments of god and to do this in adverse as well as agreeable circumstances i'll pick up where we left off it is not enough to perform the will of god or obey his commands in certain circumstances agreeable to the christian man's will must be submissive to that of in all circumstances Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or famine or nakedness or danger or persecution or the sword? In all these things, says the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8, we overcome because of him that hath loved us. What did not St. Paul in common with all the other apostles suffer for Christ? Love assuaged all their pains and sweetened all their tribulations. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed but a few days because of the greatness of his love. Although that ancient patriarch acknowledges himself that day and night was I parched with heat and with frost, and sleep departed from my eyes. According to the testimony of St. Bernard, where true love exists, labor ceases to be a burden, and the lover finds a joy in the severest, severest toil. St. Chrysostom says that an ardent lover often dies for his beloved, although after death he can expect no return from her. Oh, what an outrage. Man is willing and eager to do more for the love of a miserable, perishable creature than for the love of his living God. How often, alas, my brethren, do we voluntarily turn our backs upon him without even the excuse of a fear of death. Thirdly, we love God with our memory when we constantly recall the recollection of his past graces and benefits and when we occupy our thoughts with those with which we yet hope to receive from him in the future. Love always demands a return of love. The prophet Jeremiah said, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, have I drawn thee, taking pity on thee. Mighty and manifold are the evidences of his love, which God has manifested in his words. Remember, man, says Augustine, that once thou hadst no being, but that now that thou hast begun to live. And for this, thou hast to thank God. Thy hands have made me and formed me, says the psalmist. Yes, thou hast made me, man might exclaim, only a little less than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor and hast set him above all the works of thy hands. And St. Paul adds his testimony to this universal chorus of divine praise and love. But God commendeth his charity towards us, Romans chapter 5, because when it yes when as yet we were sinners, according to the time, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5. Beloved, do you know how unbelievably fantastic that is? God didn't wait for us to straighten, get our act together, to straighten up, to stop sinning. He didn't wait for us to repent, to come to him. He died for us while we were yet in our sin. Let us not ask, dear Christians, with the ancient prophet, why then is thy apparel red and thy garments like theirs? 
that tread in the winepress. For Christ answers with a pathos and tenderness that might melt the very hardest heart, quote, I have trod in the winepress alone. I have suffered for you. I have agonized for you. I have shed the last drop of my blood, all out of pure love for you, my poor, unworthy children, end quote. Does not such love deserve? Shall it not this day elicit an ardent and sincere return of love? <clears throat> the psalmist in Psalm 115 um, writes what is engraved uh, on our altar. What shall I render to the Lord for all the things that he hath rendered to me? To me, you see, my dear brethren, that here is a question. Here there is question of personal favors done the royal David, apart from all those past benefits which are common to the whole human race. Let us following his example. See, David wrote Psalm 115, and he said, wrote to the Lord, what shall I render? What can I give to the Lord for all the things he's done to me, that he's rendered, that he's given to me? And David recognizes that what God has done with him, he's done with all mankind, and yet he recognizes God's very special graces to him. And should we not? Following David's example, consider those particular blessings which we daily receive, the grace of baptism and faith, the grace of vocation, the grace of God's long-suffering patience in our regard, the grace of conversion, of the frequent remission of our sins, all our daily inspirations from heaven. O oh Lord, what shall I render to thee for all these things? He hath not done in like manner to every nation. He hath set me in a place of pasture. He hath brought me up on the water of refreshment. Unless the Lord had been my helper, my soul had almost dwelt in hell. These are all quotes from what David has written in the Psalms. Ask yourselves, this hour, my brethren, each one of you in the secret of your soul, what return can I make for all these benefits? And I will reply to you in the name of God, the only acceptable one. I will reply to you in the name of God, the only acceptable one of love. He requires nothing but what he himself has commanded. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Knowing clearly this commandment and the most perfect method of fulfilling it, let us therefore love the Lord our God with our whole heart, with our whole soul, and with all our mind, the very thought of such a precept should overwhelm us with humility and reverential gratitude. My God, exclaims St. Augustine, who am I in comparison to thee that thou shouldst command me to love thee? Thou threatenest and art angry when I do not love thee. Thou promised me a great reward for loving thee. Where, then, is my love for thee? What pleasure or gratification does thou find in me? What king says to his subject, Let us be friends, and as a reward I will give you a whole province? Not to our own merits, 
but to the ineffable goodness of God are we indebted for all our blessings. He wishes to be loved. In the, uh, Lord, uh, brethren, brethren, sisters, everybody, family, I can't get over that. To this day, I can't get over it. God, who needs nothing, who is complete in ourselves, wishes us to love him, and I will go so far as the psalmist cry. He needs us to love him. How foolish, then. He wishes to be loved, and he alone is most worthy of our love. We're not worthy of his, but he is certainly worthy of ours. How foolish, then, are we when we do not love him. O most amiable God, from this time forward, we will love thee with our whole heart and with our whole soul and with our whole mind. By this love shall we overcome all the difficulties of this life. All that is crooked in us shall be made straight. All that is rough in us shall be made plain. And in the end, we shall see the salvation of God and love and praise thee for all eternity. Amen. You know, I can hear many say, I can imagine many saying, but how do you love God? I don't feel love for him. I want to. I know he loved me to death. I know he died for me, but I don't feel love for God. And I, I think of the um, Bishop um, Belows. He was a disciple of St. Francis de Sales in the 1400s. And he said to Francis de Sales, um, St. Francis de Sales is known as the saint of love, and he was discipling Bishop Below. And Bishop said, how do I love? How do we love? He wanted to know how he could love like St. Francis de Sales loved. And St. Francis de Sales said, you love by loving. And he said, no, 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 you don't get it. Uh, I, you love by loving. But how do you love? And St. Francis said to him again, by loving. You're asking me, how do you love? And he says, you love by loving. And Bishop Below was at his wit's end. You love by loving, but how do you love? How do I love by loving? How do I love? And again, Francis de Sales returned the same answer. You learn to love by loving. You learn to ride a bike by riding. You stumble and fall. You learn to speak by speaking. You learn to write by writing. Similarly, you learn to love by loving. It's the only way to learn to love by loving. Will you fail? Yes. But you learn to love by loving. It's the greatest thing. And the greatest mistake we could make, dear ones, is to measure our love for God by our feelings. Well, I go to adoration and I sit there and my heart is cold. You know what? If you're being with him and you truly believe he's there and you're there to love him and keep him company and your heart is cold and God seems a million miles away, that to our Lord is a great sacrifice. Because when we feel love for him and we want to be there, there's no sacrifice in that. That's a gift to us. But when we keep him company, and when we keep his commandments, whether we want to or not, and we do what he says, whether we want to or feel like it or not, that is the highest form of love. Sacrifice. Not our feelings. Love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is the love chapter. Read it. Love is a verb, not a feeling. Love does. Love acts on the behalf of the beloved apart from feelings. There's the music for our second break, beloved. When we come back, 
We'll take your calls and your emails. We'll be right back. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Please join us in a prayer to St. Anthony of Padua. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O dear protector, St. Anthony, on this day we direct our fervent prayer to you, asking you to hear us and to intercede for us. We are parents who ask for peace in our families, our worthy occupations, and our daily bread. We are children who ask for divine assistance and protection in the hope of a successful and happy future. We are the needy poor, the afflicted, and sinners who come to you for help and grace. Therefore, speak on our behalf to that child whom you hold in your arms, and we are sure of being heard. Amen. Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. It raises the question, I think, for a convert like me or for a cradle Catholic is, why are we seeing the human leadership of the Catholic Church steer the Church in a direction that doesn't seem consistent with Catholicism of the last 1900 years? That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together. And our lines are wide open, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Uh, it could be theological, it could be practical, um, coming up celebrating the ho- holidays with difficulties in your family, uh, how to celebrate, all of that, anything that's on your heart. Um, uh, the toll-free number, one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Uh, let me see here. We have an email from Julia. Julia writes, I noticed at a certain parish, occasionally people will receive Holy Communion by taking the host and then bringing it to an extraordinary minister to dip the host in the precious blood prior to consuming it. Is this practice of self-serve intinction condoned by the church? If not, what should I do if I am serving as an extraordinary minister and someone approaches with such an intent? Intent. Well, it's absolutely, um, uh, it's an abomination. It's an abuse. No one, no layperson has any right to uh, serve themselves. Communion, 
and certainly not by intention. Absolutely not. If you are an extraordinary minister and someone approaches with such an intent, if you are an extraordinary minister in that church and you refuse them, you're going to cause a huge uproar. My response to you is do not be, uh, quit, pull back from being an extraordinary minister. You should not even be in a parish that does that. That's a tremendous sacrilege. You should find another church. You should not even be an extraordinary minister in that parish. So that's my advice. If you, um, if you alone um, uh, cover the chalice and won't let somebody do that, you're really going to cause a tremendous stir in that church. Um, if you disagree with what it means and the process of being an extraordinary minister in that church, you should not be an extraordinary minister. The church is wrong. It's an absolute sacri- sacrilege. It should never happen. So stop being an extraordinary minister, and I also recommend you find another church, Julia. Um, okay, yes, I will. Um, we had a call um, uh, on the air, uh, someone who's not on the line that wants to confirm our new address. Uh, we sent out our Christmas mailing, and we used our our uh, post office address, Box 627, in Winona, uh, because we had printed reply envelopes that you don't need to put a stamp on. You can use freely use those envelopes, and we go to Winona to pick up our mail. It's about 40 minutes from us, but in time for the Christmas newsletter, we needed to use that. Um, our new address in uh, Winsboro um, is uh, on FM 28, uh, 2869 or 2839. I can't even remember at the moment. FM 2869, I believe, in Winsboro. And the correct address is on our website, motherofisraelshope.org. It's on the product brochure we sent out. It's on our newsletter. Uh, but the envelopes have a P.O. Box 627 in Winona. Uh, either address will get to us. Either address will get to us. The uh, Winsboro address will get to us more quickly because it's direct. Okay. Thanks so much for, um, for asking, Tracy. <clears throat> um, let me just make an announcement while we're doing this. Um, we are going to begin now at our new location to have discernment retreats uh, for new sisters. And... Um, we're reconstructing what's going to be our cloister, but uh, we are, uh, we're going to have room to take in a few women uh, on retreat and then uh, to take them in to be with us. So um, we take in women 18 to 118, 18 to 118. And I've always said, if you're 119, but you can keep the rule, we'll take you. <laughs> um, however, um, if you go into an order, if you enter an order such as the Dominicans or the Carmelites, Franciscans, and they've been around for hundreds of years, you're going to see uh, four generations of women, uh, those that are 18 and up, those that are 40 and up, those that are 60 and up, and so forth, um, because uh, they've been there. Maybe they entered when they're 18 and now they're 65. So you see all generations, which is very beautiful and very healthy for mixed generations to grow up together. It's very beautiful. 
Um, so we have decided there's no age limit. Absolutely not. No age limit. At the moment, we have applications from ages 16 to 84 on our hands. Um, but most of the inquiries we have are for older women. So we've made, which is fine, but we want to make sure we keep a balance. We want as many women under 40 as over 40. Right now, we have two more over 40 than under 40. So the next uh, group of women will have a retreat will be for younger women ages 18 to 40 or 39 or 40. 18 to 40 will be our next retreat. Um, we're looking to have it in January. We don't have the exact dates set up yet. We'll probably have a second one in February. So, and then we'll, we'll uh, take women in from those retreats. And so um, if you wish, uh, especially if you're under 40, um, send an email you could send it to Station of the Cross, mother at thestationofthecross.com. You could send it directly to us at mail, M-A-I-L, at motherofisraelshope.org. You can go to our website, motherofisraelshope.org, click on the contact button, and you'll see our e- main email address, which email address, which is mail at motherofisraelshope.org. You'll also see the vocation email address, which is vocation inquiry at motherofisraelshope.org. Feel free, send us an email. You might even let us know your age. And if, you're, um, if you have any impediments uh, to religious life, for example, um, uh, there are women who have been married before and they've been uh, divorced for many years, but they don't have an annulment. That would be an impediment because if you don't have an annulment, a degree of nullity saying that your initial marriage never truly took place, then the church assumes you're still married and you cannot be married to Jesus. So give us a couple of points in your email and we'll get back to you immediately and send you a, a beginning introduction, a vocation questionnaire, and you'll be in time to be included in those retreats if, if you fit. Okay, God bless you. We have an email from Fred who says, if we were to discover that life existed on other planets, how might that affect our Catholic beliefs? For example, would we have to say that Jesus is the redeemer of those beings as well? We are not able to answer an if question. And I would say no, because Jesus existed, he created the world. There were no planets, there was nothing before uh, our Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so if he created other planets with beings on them, um, then, uh, and if his salvation applied to them, then we would know that it, it, through the deposit of faith. He would have said, you have brothers and sisters on Mars or other planets, whatever it is, and I've died for them too. Uh, we would know. We don't have to um, consider if beyond what God has told us. Um, And so um, uh, we don't need to be concerned about that. The gospel is to be spread to every creature, and then the end will come. And it's assumed that every creature is on planet Earth because God has told us about no other life anywhere. And so um, to speculate, uh, we we can always dream and speculate, but we cannot come up with an answer. 
We have an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says, I am not Catholic, and one of many of your beliefs I do not understand is your concept of original sin. Why should I think that I have inherited a sin committed by someone else so many years ago? How can I be guilty of a sin that I did not commit? This is a fantastic question. And I'm going to tell you that your thinking is correct. You are not guilty of a sin that you did not commit. You are not. We are not guilty of Adam and Eve's actual sin. We are not. You are not guilty of the actual sin of your parents. Um, What we inherit is not their actual sin, but their fallen nature. We are born with the nature of our parents who fell from God by their choice. Let me read you um, a very good answer from uh, Catholic.com, Catholic Answers, and um, from uh, Tim Staples, who quotes, um, uh, some critics argue that punishment for personal sins is understandable, but those who die with original sin alone in their souls have not personally done anything wrong. How could they be justly punished? Even in theory, wouldn't that contradict Ezekiel chapter 18, which says, I'm going to quote it, the soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns away from all his sins which he has committed, and keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Um, This is a misunderstanding um, of those who think they've died for Adam's actual sin. It's a misunderstanding of what original sin. Um, Original sin, Tim Staples writes, does not represent all of mankind being made guilty of what was Adam's actual sin. That is not what the Catholic Church teaches, and Ezekiel would condemn that kind of thinking. The prophet makes clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the son cannot be said to be guilty of a sin committed by his father alone. In fact, no person can be justly charged as guilty concerning any sin he did not personally commit. In Adam's case, the only person guilty of Adam's sin is Adam. But the Catholic dogma of original sin does not teach or imply that someone can be guilty of someone else's actual sin. And the church has always understood that. There's a difference, dear one, between original sin and actual sin. All of us are born into the original sin of Adam, but not his actual sin. Um, The Catechism says, by yielding to the tempter, Adam and Eve committed a personal sin. But this is sin, but this sin affected the human nature that they would then transmit in a fallen state. This is the issue. It is a sin which will be transmitted by propagation to all mankind. That is, by the transmission of a human nature deprived of original holiness and justice. And that is why original sin is called sin only in an analogical sense. It is a sin contracted 
and not committed. It is a state and not an act. The language of punishment in church documents um, can be confusing to some folks, but by punishment, the church is referring to the fact that there are all sorts of sufferings and deprivations, which can be called punishments, wrought in the lives of innocent children due to the sins and mistakes of their parents. Original sin is the ultimate example of that. And let me clarify that fully, uh, dear ones. I'll take a little time. This is so important. When we come back from the break, we'll have about 10 minutes. You'll still be welcome to call in with anything on your heart, but I will stay with this answer because it's extremely important. Many, many people say, why should I be guilty for someone else's sin? You are not. But we have inherited the fallen nature of our parents because we are their offspring. We'll be right back. The Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station of the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station when it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times. It made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. Um, and, excuse me. <coughs> we have 10 minutes and our lines are still open. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Uh, toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. Um, 
And we are uh, right in the middle of a response to um, someone who's written in anonymously and says, I'm not a Catholic, excuse me, and one of many of your beliefs I do not understand is your concept of original sin. Excuse me. Why should I think that I have inherited a sin committed by someone else so many years ago? Excuse me. I'm trying to swallow hiccups. How can I be guilty of a sin that I did not commit? And we've begun to answer that. And I've, I've said, you're not guilty of Adam's actual sin. There's a difference between original sin, which comes from Adam and Eve's fallen nature, and the actual sin that he committed. If someone in your family commits murder, um, you cannot be responsible for that. You might be an accomplice, but you're not responsible for that. So what Adam and Eve actually did, you're not responsible for. However, um, you're not responsible that you're not guilty for the sins of our parents, of Adam and Eve, for the actual sins that they committed. What it means, what original sin sin means, is that children can be and often are affected adversely by the effects of the sins and mistakes of their parents. In fact, science has verified that the use of cocaine or even smoking cigarettes, to use these two examples, these are minor, um, among others we could employ, by a pregnant mother can have consequences for her child postpartum. The children in these cases obviously have not chosen to do anything harmful to themselves, yet the potential for harm remains. Many of these children will have defects and damage for which they cannot be blamed. I was a women's jail chaplain for more than 10 years in my Protestant years and held in my arms babies that were born from mothers addicted to drugs. And the babies came out of the womb um, addicted to drugs and their whole little body shaking. And they didn't commit anything, but the sins of their parents certainly affected them. Punishment is often used in these cases in the sense of these sufferings and deprivations that result from the sins of the parents. And this is analogous to original sin because Adam and Eve possessed the human nature that was to be passed down to their progeny. Their sin, original sin, because they are the first parents, there was no sin before them, which brought about the fall of that same nature would cause all of their progeny until the end of time ordinarily speaking, to receive a fallen human nature. Analogous to the crack baby born with defects, someone could say punishments, he did not cause, in the case of Adam and Eve, all of their progeny would be punished, so to speak, or born with original sin on their souls. Because, again, our parents' our parents' nature was fallen before God, Are all men guilty of Adam's sin? No. But do all men suffer from the effects of Adam's sin? Yes, absolutely. That may be confusing, but um, I had the same question when I, from my Jewish background, first learned that not just the Catholic Church, but Christianity uh, taught that. Um, I said, how could I be guilty for what I never did? And then I learned the issue of my having inherited 
the nature, the fallen nature of our parents. Well, why should I be guilty for that? It's not fair. Well, the fact is that God is not fair. For God to be fair, if he gave us what we deserve, beloved, we would all be in hell. But he gives us what we don't deserve, which is life freely. And as soon as that baby comes out of the mother's womb, that moment, within that minute, that baby is born an adorable sinner. Not because of what Adam and Eve did, but because that baby was born from the fallen nature of Adam and Eve's sins, which has been passed on to all of mankind. And the moment that little baby comes out, a cute little sinner, from its mother's womb, that baby could be baptized right on the hospital bed, right on the mother's bed. And with that baptism, the original sin of Adam is taken away. And the love and the uh, purity and the grace of God poured into that child's soul. So God is not fair. He doesn't give us what we deserve, which is hell. He gives us what we don't deserve, which is life. The moment we are baptized, he's given us a remedy. We inherited the original sin in the sense of human nature. We come out of the world separated from God because of Adam and Eve's choice of sin, which we didn't commit, but we inherit their nature. Um, You know, um, this is a a weak example, but um, there are families where... um, you know, many Downs children, or if they have children, maybe their babies will be Downs, or certain uh, serious physical illnesses, and they're passed on. And they're passed on to their offspring. Did the offspring commit anything? No. But did they inherit the defaults, the faults of the nature of the parents? They do. They do. Now, in medical cases, there might be a cure. Um... Not always is there a cure, but in the spiritual life, there is always a cure because God is not fair. He gives us what we don't deserve, which is all of life the moment we come to him. You mean all I have to do is be baptized? In faith, yes, if you come to believe that he is the savior of the world and the only sacrifice that ever pleased God in payment for our sins was his on the cross. And he rose from the dead to give life to all who will come to him. And he established his church. It is the Catholic Church. And gave us the deposit of faith right from the beginning. We don't have to figure out what's true. What parent would give birth to their children and let the children fend for themselves at a month old, a year old, a day old, or three years old to figure out what to eat, what to do, what not to do? No, no, no. God is a perfect father. And right from the beginning, he's given us the food of life. And he's given us commands, and he has instructed his children. No one is at a loss. No one. Be baptized, and we can be saved. Saved from what? From death, spiritual death, eternal death in hell. That's what we're saved from. And we can have life with God now and forever. You mean it lasts forever as long as we don't? by the gift of God's free will to us, is that we don't turn from God. Yes, we will be saved forever. And if we turn from him and we commit mortal sin, then God gives us repentance to go to a priest and confess our sins with true godly sorrow 
and we are back with God again. God is willing that none perish, that none perish. So, beloved, if you've been away from the church, you may not understand it all. And it may be because you're dead spiritually, you're alive physically, but you may be dead and separated from God spiritually. And the things of God are foolish to the natural man without Christ. The very reason why you may be cold to these truths or they make no sense to you or they seem unfair is because you are dead spiritually. Ask God to humble you, to bring you to him in penance, repentance, to turn from your ways and to enter your life and to be baptized and you'll become a new creature in him and then all things will be made new. All things, beloved. There's the closing music for our program. We'll be back with you tomorrow, God willing, and have a beautiful last week of Advent. God bless you.